Let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. Why don't you go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And as we assemble here tonight, we're praying for God to work in our hearts. Please get the message out to the church family. We're trying to move things along a little bit faster on Wednesday nights and be a little bit more, more consistent, trying to get people home a little bit earlier and ending the service earlier. So I'm going to do my part, and you help me do your part in helping people to get here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, share your Bible with them, if you would, verses 1 to 5. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5. You there? All right, good. All right, let's read. Finally, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, amen, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that you both do and will do the things which we command you, that the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Tonight, I want to bring you a message entitled, Three Encouragements for a New Year. Three Encouraging Words for a New Year. And we're going to find here in verses 1 to 5 some great encouragement the Apostle Paul gives us. He was giving this at the final end of this letter he wrote to this church that he loved. But it's something that we can apply to our year this year as we, we get, we're going forward, kind of setting our goals in place, uh, just working through those goals and trying to have some good habits in place that God would bless in you. So let's pray tonight that God would give us that word of encouragement and help us as we start this new year. Father, thank you for your church. Bless the service, we pray. Help enable me, Lord, that I have clarity of mind, the fullness of spirit. Speak to our hearts, work on our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, believe it or not, I was looking back on the archives. We've been in the, the book of First and Second Thessalonians uh, since the beginning of last year, and it's amazing. I didn't realize just for eight, eight simple chapters I'd be here for about... Um, all this period of time for almost a year there, but we're almost done. I think we've got maybe two more messages, three more messages after this, and we're done. And then we'll be starting a new series probably sometime around mid-February that I'm excited about that will be probably go for about a year as well. There are two that I think will be great encouragement to us. In First and Second Thessalonians, we have, uh, we've covered a lot of the major doctrines of the Bible. We've studied the doctrine of the church. We've studied the doctrines of evangelism and soul winning. We've covered the doctrine of discipleship or the practice of discipleship. We've spent some time on the sanctification of the believer. We've spent some time talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at eschatology, the study of future things. And this year especially, we'll be spending a lot of time looking at uh, future events. And we spent some time looking at the rapture, a little bit of time looking at the tribulation and the falling away that precedes the tribulation. We spent a little bit of time looking at the second coming of Christ. We talked just briefly about the millennium, but we've looked at all of these things surrounding eschatology or coming events there. Uh, we've looked at the heresy of Calvinism, and we will probably touch on that again, about the, the, deadly, the deadly flower of Calvinism. We've spent some time talking about prayer. We're going to look at prayer tonight. Uh, we've looked at our due diligence, our practices as a Christian. We've looked at having a rejoicing spirit, and of course, as we see tonight, and we saw last week, and we saw a few weeks ago, the importance of steadfastness. Now, last time, if you go back to chapter Chapter 2, last time we saw the Apostle Paul in verses 13, to, uh, excuse me, verses 15 to 17, uh, encouraging us about good hope. Look at verse six, chapter 2, verse 16. He said, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now, why did he say all that? No, just by way of review, we've got to remember that when he starts chapter 2, 
The Thessalonian believers were soon shaken in mind and in spirit. False teachers had somehow found their way into their, into their congregation and were telling them that the rapture had already occurred. And so they were worried. They were just, you know, they weren't gullible. I mean, Paul had taught them about the rapture, but these teachers came out with this, uh, this sense of just they were, they were very compelling and uh, had led them to believe that the rapture already occurred and they were left behind. I don't know about you, but if, if someone came into this pulpit and I was gone and the preachers here in the church were gone and someone told you that, you'd be a little bit concerned there too, amen, you know? And so the Bible says they were soon shaken in mighty spirit. But that was not the only thing. They were shaken in mind and spirit also because of tribulations and persecutions that, that were happening there. So they were concerned about that. So Paul, as he gets to the end of chapter 2, and you got to remember when the Bible was written that there were no chapter breaks and there were no verse breaks. It was one just continuous line of thought. He's giving them encouragement. He's encouraging them to have good hope. He's comforting their hearts and he's reminding them to continue to grow in the mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight as we look at verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3, we see three encouraging that Paul gives to them and that he gives to us. Three encouragements that will carry you through this year. Three encouragements that will carry you through the remainder of your Christian life. Three encouragements, if we follow, will help us to stay steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Encouragement number one. Are you ready? Encouragement number one. Paul encourages us about continuous prayer. Paul continues, uh, encourages us about continuous prayer. Notice verses one and two. He says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Now, pray, Paul prayed for the people that God put in his life. When we read the epistles, Paul was a man of prayer. He talked about prayer. He started most of his letters by talking about how he prayed for people. In fact, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, I believe in chapter 1, he, he makes mention about this church there that in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, uh, We give thanks God, to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Now, Paul prayed for people, but here in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is asking the people to pray for him. It's one thing for you to pray for people, but it's another thing for us to be transparent enough and humble enough to ask people to pray for us. Now, three times Paul mentioned, talk, talks about uh, he's asking different churches to pray for him. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, he said, pray for us. In Hebrews 13.18, he said, pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he said, pray for us. The first encouragement for a great new year is that you and I would pray for others, that we would enter into a ministry of intercession. Now, if you don't already have it, I want to encourage you, maybe starting with the prayer page, that you take that prayer page and use that to intercede on behalf of Heritage Baptist Church and the members of the church. And I want to encourage you to do more than just pray, just pray, Lord bless Susie and bless Billy and bless Joey and so forth. Like that's all good. But I want to encourage you to pray specifically and to pray dogmatically and pray earnestly for people. I want to encourage you to pray for the health issues going on in our church. I want to encourage you to pray for mercies of God, the mercies of salvation, the mercies of healing, the mercies of being able to sleep through the night. Many people have sleep disorders. I want to encourage you to pray for the mercies of in parenting, that parents would have the mercies of God in knowing how to raise their children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The Bible admonishes you and I that we should have a ministry of intercession. Notice in 1 Samuel 12, 23, Paul said this, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. 
Now Samuel was the last of, of, of the judges. And Samuel was both a high priest and a prophet. And Samuel, as he's addressing, if you look at chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, he spends all of that chapter giving a great sermon to the, to the nation of Israel because they had just uh, chosen their first king. And he's reminding them of some of the things that are going to happen there. And he's telling them things they didn't want to hear. But in spite of that, he said to them, God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. Now I just want to give you a thought here. God tells us in 1 Samuel 12, 23, it's a sin not to pray. It's a sin not to pray for others. And so we should take into account that we should always be guarded and ready to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, the Apostle Paul said this, I exhort therefore that first of all, that's our first priority, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Paul said that we should have a ministry of prayer. We should pray for all men. We should pray, we should have prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men. Now when you think about prayer, I wanna, I wanna kinda be more specific. In Matthew 9, 38, Jesus taught us to pray for laborers. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into the harvest. Would you join me this year in praying that God would send laborers from our church into the harvest field? Would you join me this year in praying for God to raise up preachers and touch men and calling them into the ministry? Would you pray with me that God would call out missionary families out of our church and that our church will see a turn as we turn 21 years of age here, a turnout of God sending people out? We must pray for laborers. But secondly, notice Paul, Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy 2.4, we must pray for sinners to be saved. We must pray for the lost. He said God will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Now, we need to pray for sinners. I've got a long list of sinners I'm praying for. In fact, I'm thankful today that one of the sinners that I've been praying for for several years, many of the family members come to Christ, but the patriarch of the family hasn't gotten saved. I got a, I got a message early this morning. I was up working on some God morning devotion and a few other things. I got a message this morning from one of the children. They said, Pastor, I've been witnessing my dad, and uh, dad, dad seems to be open about some things, and I think he might be ready for you. Is there any way you can get to my dad? And I said, can you see if I can see him tomorrow? I will clear my schedule in the afternoon to see your dad tomorrow. And they worked it out. Lord, will you pray for me around between one and four that I'll be see, able to see that man there? and you pray that that man will get saved and that he'll get saved out of a Catholic background and Catholic belief and God will just bring his mind into conformity to the things of God. And you pray for the lost. This past Saturday, my wife and I had three, my wife and I had three very intensive uh, appointments we had with lost people that we've never given the gospel to. One we think may be saved, the other two definitely are not saved and they need some time. But we need to pray for God to work in their hearts. We want to pray for lost people to get saved. We must pray for laborers. We must pray for the lost. Hey, we must pray for leaders. Notice in 1 Timothy, Timothy 2, 2. He says we should pray for kings and for all that in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Let me tell you something tonight. If we had, if this whole country was praying, all the junk that you see on the internet, all the attacks that the liberal media is making against this guy and that guy and all the other people, we'd see an end of all that because, you know, we would put aside all this strife and we'd realize today we need to pray for one another and work towards God doing a great work through people's lives. We must pray for leaders. I need your prayers. The deacon need your prayers. The staff needs your prayers. We need to pray. Paul understood the warfare prayer. Notice Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. One of the great things we must realize, we must pray because we're in a spiritual war. We must pray because Satan is firing his fiery darts at us. You may have had those fiery darts hit you on the way to church tonight. You may have had it this morning. You may have had it maybe a couple days past. 
whatever it may be. Paul understood the warfare prayer. Prayer is working against the devil. Prayer is getting God to bolster our faith. We need to get that shield of faith up as strong as we can. And then Paul understood the work of prayer. Notice Colossians 4.12. There's the work of prayer. Prayer is wrestling. Prayer is agonizing. Prayer is agonizing in earnestness on behalf of other people. And Paul talked about a colleague, a fellow pastor. His name was Epaphras. Epaphras' name means lovely. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, I think Paul, I've said this many times before, I think Paul, Epaphras came to visit Paul while he was in that Roman prison. And I think there were times when Paul went to sleep and he woke up and he saw that pastor in the corner somewhere praying fervently for his congregation. Paul heard that man pray and he described his prayer this way. He was laboring, he was always laboring fervently in his prayers for them. In other words, the word, it's one word that describes laboring fervently or always laboring fervently. It's the word agonizomai. There's another word that Paul uses similar to that over in Romans 15.30. And it's the same idea. It's the word agonizomai. It means literally wrestling with God in prayer. And that's the same idea of Jacob wrestling with the angel in Genesis 32 where he said, oh God, I won't let you go, God, unless you bless me. And the Bible says he, he worked in his praying that God would have these people to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That they would do God's will and they would be complete in God's will. But Paul also understood not only the work of prayer and the warfare of prayer, but notice Philippians 4, 6. Paul understood there's wellness in prayer. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight, if you're not praying, you're going to get spiritually sick. You're going to shrivel up in your soul. If you're not praying, you're going to be anxious. If you're not praying, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to stretch your faith. Your faith will be like a rubber bed that hasn't been stretched for a long time. It'll pop. It'll break there. You've got to learn that there's wellness in prayer. Well, prayer is good for the soul. Prayer is good for your life. Prayer is good for faith. In fact, there is no faith without prayer. And he said in Philippians 4, 6, be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Listen, if you're going through anxiety fits, and you've got, and you've got, uh, you've got anxiety, and you've got worry, and you've got all these things battling you, and you're fretting all the time. That may be because you haven't learned to pray and commit things to God in prayer. I want to earnestly encourage you tonight to realize Paul encouraged us to pray. Look again at Philipp at, at chapter three, verse one. Brethren, pray for us. He's talking about him. He's talking about Timothy. He's talking about Silas. He's talking about Luke. That was his gospel team. He said, brethren, pray for us. Now specifically, notice in verses 1 and 2, he gives a specific on how to pray. And we're going to see that tonight because this will teach you how to pray for missionaries and how to pray for your pastor and pray for preachers. Paul asked for prayer for his work in the gospel. Specifically, he was praying that they, he said, I want you to, if you had to pray for anything for me, pray for the work of the gospel. Now what was he asking them to do? Look at verse 1 again. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. Now, if you've not done this, underline those two words, free course, in verse 1. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. Number one, he asked them to pray for the expansion of the word of God. Now, the word free course is a very interesting word. It's literally an athletic term. It's one word that's an athletic term. It has the idea of running 
and specifically exerting all of your effort in, in, in running to win. Uh, this word is used and when it talks about uh, Peter and John running to the tomb in John chapter 20. This word is used uh, to describe the women who went to the tomb very early in the morning and when they saw it empty, they ran back to tell Peter, John, and the other apostles. It is the, it is the word that's used to describe the father of the prodigal son. How remember that when he saw his son afar off, the Bible says he ran to meet him. It literally has the idea, exerting yourself, get it going against all the pressures that are around you, exerting yourself to get it done, to get to that object there. He had the idea that the gospel would run its intended course. He wanted through prayer that there would be a rapid propagation of the gospel. He had in mind the exertion of all of one's effort in getting the gospel out. Now, when you look at this word free course, basically we sum it up in two, 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 two thoughts here. The word free course has two thoughts. Thought number one is that hindrances and perils along the way would be removed. He said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. In other words, pray for us that all the perils, the hindrances, the obstacles would be removed. Now that's a good thing. We ought to pray for so winning on Saturday that obstacles are removed, that, that people will open the doors and they will turn off their televisions. We need to pray on Saturdays that God will providentially delay people from going out so we can have a chance to get the gospel tracked them. We need to pray that no matter who is at the door before us, whether it's the pizza man or the Jehovah Witness, that they, will, that they may throw their liturgy away, but they won't throw our liturgy away. Amen? We need to pray for the Word of God to have free course, that whatever it may be, that hindrances and perils would be removed. We need to pray that the pit bull would be put in the back, back of the house. Amen? We need to pray that the German shepherd won't attack us. We need to pray that the people will be open to us, so have a good disposition. But the second thing in this, in this idea of free course is that he, he was asking that he and the gospel preaching team would exert themselves at maximum capacity. In other words, he's saying, Lord, pray for us that we don't fail in what we do. Pray for us when we get to that location that we'll put all of our effort behind it and that we'll trust God to win souls. Now listen today. Our church is 20, turning 21 years of age. I want you to pray for the word of the Lord to have free course throughout the Bay Area. I want you to pray with me that we'll, we'll exert more more energy and be more aggressive in getting out the gospel than we've ever been before. I want you to pray with me that God would remove the hindrances and open doors. This past Friday, we had a couple of dignitaries that were here at the, uh, at the funeral for, uh, or the memorial service for Mr. Howard Kerr, Brother Howard Kerr. And uh, I got a chance, I got introduced to one that I found out later, I found out during the service she was here, and she was our former mayor many, many years ago, went on to be a state senator, and she served two terms up in Sacramento as a state senator. In fact, in one of those terms, I think the second term, she was a nominee the majority leader for that, and uh, and she's a you know she's a leader of a leader. She has a strong legal background. Not on the same page as where I'm at today in terms of um, in terms of my belief system, in terms of uh, politics and things like that. But be this may, I got to introduce this, this this civic leader, and uh, I reached out to her today and sent her a message early this morning. Said, hey, just thank you. I got a chance to meet you. I want to follow back up on our discussion, and I hope that we get a chance to talk again. I'm going to put her on our our, our list of people we're going to contact for special events. And then the other one wor uh, worked with Howard Kerr at Oral. Loma, and uh, he kind of just followed me on a few things. I think he's a believer already, but there's an open door there. And by the way, if any of you young people are looking for an internship or work or something like that, let me know. Uh, if you've got a good character and you're a hard worker, I'll give, I'll write a reference letter to get you over there at Oraloma. They're, they always are looking to hire interns and hardworking people and things like that. And I think it'd be a good thing for our church to have just be well represented there with just young people that have a good testimony for the Lord there. But be this as it may, Paul was saying here, pray for us that the word of the Lord would have free course. Now, you want to help the missionaries? Pray for for God's word to have free course. You want to help the preachers on our prayer page? Pray for the word of God to have free course. You want to help our church this year? Pray for the word of God to have free course. I would encourage you tonight 
with the, that we want the gospel message to reach more people and more quickly. We want it to spread deep and wide. We want it to have great convicting power. And let me give an application tonight on, on one other way. I want you to pray tonight for our missionary that we support, Brother Ted Mung. Brother Ted Mung is our missionary overseas and restricted access nation. Brother Ted is working hard. I get, I get updates weekly from him, maybe several times a week. If you ever want to know what's going on, come see me. I'll show you on my phone pictures of people he's reaching, he's talking to, trying to engage in different types of things. He sent me his entire calendar for this coming year in terms of what's going to happen. We hope to have him and his family here in the month of August for our missions conference, and then we're going to have him go to several other churches to raise some more support, and they want to hear about his work, and I think it's a good thing. The more people that know about his work, I think that's good. But I want you to pray that God will give him free course with the gospel message. Why is that important? Because as far as we know, he may be the only Baptist preacher we know of in his, in his city of about 10 million people, and we, that city needs the gospel, and they need what he has going on there. And I'm praying that he'll get one, one station established that we're going, and then go to another part of the city and get another station established, and then go to another part of the city and get another station established. We want to help him to get that going. They're running about seven people right now. We want to pray that this year that they'll see a breakthrough, and I'm praying that they'll get up to 20 people by the end of this year. How many believe God can do that? Amen? We want to pray that God can do that tonight. And so you want to pray tonight for the expansion of the gospel. But there's a second thing Paul said. Notice verse 1 again. He said, pray for us. Where our first encouragement is continuous prayer. He asked them to pray for the expansion of the gospel. But notice in verse 1, he also asked them to pray for the exaltation of the gospel. Would you notice that? He asked them to pray for the exaltation of the gospel. He said, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. And notice this, and be glorified even in as, as, as it is with you. Not like Paul's spirit. He wasn't praying that the gospel would expand so that he would get the glory. He was praying the gospel would expand so God would get the glory. Amen? And I think we have to remind ourselves that the propagation of the gospel, the sending out of laborers, the sending out of missionaries, the preaching of God's word is not to build us up, it's to glorify him. It's to lift up Jesus high. And I like what he says here. He says that the word of the Lord may be glorified even as it is with you. Now let me tell you tonight, God's word is glorified through the salvation of sinners. Amen? When people get saved, God is glorified. God's people, no matter how shy you may be, God's people should rejoice every time a person gets saved. We ought to say amen to somebody got saved. And we ought to give glory to God that every time we hear about that, God's word is glorified when there's the salvation of sinners. Hey, listen, God's word is glorified through the sanctification of his saints. When God's word is changing you and changing me, and we're one step and two steps and three steps closer to being holy. Guess what? That glorifies God. If you're not making a decision, if the preaching of God's word is not changing your life, there's not, there's not the problem with this. It's not the word that's the problem. The problem's your heart. Because Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now I want to encourage you tonight. Make services the most important time of your week. You come, you take notes, you receive it, come with and grab your heart. I'm not just talking here. I'm even talking to you young people. We have club meetings and Bible studies. You need to receive the word of God with gratefulness and with hunger and a great thirst. The Bible says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And I remind you tonight, God is glorified through the sanctification of saints. But listen, God is glorified through the sending of soul winners. Every time a soul winner is sent out, every time a mystery is sent out, God blesses his word there. Now, the mission of the gospel, let's think about this tonight. The mission of the gospel is, to, is, is that God is glorified through changed lives. And God is glorified when hearts are tender and catch a vision. And God is glorified when new ministries are started to proclaim his word. I'm for starting new ministry, but I'm going to tell you, the ministries excite me and the staff and the deacons. What excites us is starting new ministries that proclaim the word of God so more people can be reached 
and more lives can be touched. We're not interested in starting maintenance ministries. We're interested in starting ministries that will see people saved. Amen? And so you want to be part of that. God is glorified when men are called to preach and develop to be sent out. There's the mission of the gospel, but there's the model of the gospel. Notice what Paul said in verse 1. That the word of the Lord may be glorified even as it is with you. Hey, you know what Paul said? Hey, I want you guys to think back in those beginning days of the Thessalonian church. And you read chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. I don't have time to preach it again, but if you look at chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, they were a model. They were a model. He talks about how the word of the Lord sounded out from them. The word sounded out means it echoed. It sounded out from them, not only in Macedonia, but through Achaia and all the parts of the world. And Paul said, you know what? What a, what a blessing it is to my heart that we don't even have to go to those areas because you caught it and you're doing it and people are getting it and you're sending laborers out. Hey, Paul had a, Paul had a co-worker that tagged along with him. His name was Aristarchus. You ever heard of that name? Aristarchus went along with Paul. Aristarchus was a Thessalonian believer who got it. I believe he was a preacher. I believe he was a man that caught Paul's heart. He just wanted to be there to encourage Paul. Not tell you tonight, Paul was a type A person. He didn't need anybody to tag along to help him out along the way, but he didn't turn guys away. He saw there's an opportunity to, that these men could learn the ministry and serve the Lord. The Thessalonian church was a model example of a church that glorified God through the preaching of his word. This coming Sunday, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night, well represent the church. We need the church full on those, each of those nights when Dr. R. Bulette comes. He's a great preacher of God's word. He's one of the great preachers of this generation. What a tragedy if you have not figured out to get your schedule uh, all lined up to be your church. What a tragedy to miss the preaching of God's word. God's word cannot be glorified if you're not here. You gotta be here for it, amen? We've gotta be here for God to work on us. So Paul was praying. He said, pray for us for the expansion of the gospel. And Paul said, pray for us for the exaltation of the gospel. But notice verse two. Paul asked him to pray for his extraction from those who had hurt him. Now, Paul knew wherever he went, he just, by the time he wrote this letter, everywhere he went, people were ready to attack him. I don't know about you, but he had to be an unusual man to deal with that because, I mean, he had to deal with threats and perils all the time. And in verse 2, he says, And pray for us that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, he used two very strong words. On one end, people that just are, he calls them unreasonable. They just, you can't reason with them. They're just, they're just, they're just, they, their mind's made up. They just assume you're guilty. They just assume you're a criminal. And then the other extreme, he says, he says they're also wicked. They have, they have harmful intent towards Paul. Now, thank God we don't face it, but you know, in our generation, we may face it before Jesus comes. And Paul said here, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable wicked men. He said, for all men have not the faith. Paul was praying for his extraction. Now, Paul was being human. Paul was just saying, listen, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I've already been stoned. I've gone through some shipwrecks. You know, I've, had, I've been beaten up on my back. I've been in stocks. I, I've, I've been through all that, and I'll do it again. But he said, would you just pray for us that God would deliver us? It would just be kind of a blessing to go somewhere, and people would be kind of nice to us and not mean to us. You know, I think that's what he's saying there. And I think you and I feel the same way. You know, for us, we get discouraged if someone yells at us and get off the porch. We think that's persecution. For Paul, man, they went after him. They stoned him. They took him out the city and stoned him. And I just want to say tonight, we must pray for, for just the deliverance that God would give to his people. We need to pray for 
our missionaries that God would help them. Think about Paul. He, he experienced unreasonable and wicked men at Paphos, at Antioch and Pisidia, at Iconium, at Lystra, at Derbe, at Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus, and probably other places where he went. He said, pray for our deliverance. Pray for our safety. So number one, if we're going to be encouraged for this new year, if we're going to seize upon this encouragement, we must have continuous prayer. I want to encourage you to take up the admonition of Apostle Paul. He said, finally, brethren, pray for us. Be an intercessor. Pray for others. Pray for your church. Pray long. Pray deeply. Pray specifically. Pray earnestly. Pray in wrestling. Pray. Make it your point this year that you're going to major in prayer for God tonight. So number one, encouragement number one, continuous prayer. Encouragement number two, would you notice verse three? Encouragement number two, he encourages us with a comforting promise. Encouragement number one, we must pray. Encouragement number two gives us a promise. I like what he says, but the Lord is faithful. Amen. God's faithful, okay? Now, we, we, don't, we take for granted with what that means, but Paul had to remind them that God is faithful. You and I have to be reminded he's faithful, amen? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, he said, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Now, what do, what do we mean by faithfulness? Well, faithfulness is coming home at the end of the day and I'm talking about married people for a minute, and your spouse is faithfully there waiting for your arrival. Faithfulness is you young people coming home and mom or dad's home there to greet you. Uh, faithfulness is knowing there are no secrets that your husband or wife is keeping from you. Faithfulness is the daily things that your spouse does for you and with you because you're loved. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? Everyone appreciates faithfulness. Everyone loves someone that is faithful. And Paul is saying, you know what? I've been through thick and thin. I've been through some high waters, and I've been through some low waters. I've been in difficult spots, and I've been in good spots. I've seen people saved, and I've seen people that didn't get saved. He said, I've had rocks thrown at me, and I've had people put their hand on my back and say, I'm praying for you. But you know what he learned through all that? God is with him. God was for him. And I want to tell you tonight, in faithfulness, God is with you, and God is for you. God never walks out on you. God never abandons you. God never leaves you. God never puts you aside. God is there when even you think God is not there. He is there for you. God will help you. The Lord is the cloud and smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. He's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some in this room tonight still to this day struggle with the insecurity. What if I sin? I know I'm saved, but if I sin, will I lose my salvation? And the answer is no, you don't lose your salvation because salvation or eternal life is the gift of God, amen? The gift of God he doesn't take back. But in this matter of our sin, we will sin again. We have a sinful nature. And we have to understand God knows that, but we can come to God and he forgives us. Listen, if you have a child, the moment that child's born, there's a birth certificate given. And in that birth certificate, it tells that, that the mother, who the father and father is, and it doesn't matter whatever anybody says, legally that child belongs to you. Now that child's going to go from being an infant and being very cute and very sweet to becoming a teenager who's not cute and sweet, and a teenager who rebels, and a teenager who talks back, and a teenager says some dumb things and, and don't realize what they're really saying there. And by the way, we've all done that, amen, we've all done that as teenagers, okay? And, uh, and so you do that, and, uh, and, and, but you know, and the teenagers say, well, you know, I don't like you, mommy and daddy, and that hurts mommy and daddy, but you know what? It doesn't change the relationship. The relationship is still there. Listen tonight. When you get saved, you have sonship. 
Nothing takes away the sonship. But what about when we sin? Well, when we sin, we break the fellowship. But I got good news for you. Fellowship can be restored. Amen? Fellowship can be restored. Read through 1 John. It emphasizes and differentiates for us sonship and fellowship. And so when we look at this tonight, we understand this evening God is faithful to forgive us our sin. You can go to him and he will cleanse you. He's faithful to, he's faithful when we're strong and when we're weak. He's faithful when things are against us. His faithfulness never changes. His faithfulness is a comfort. We have the, we have the comfort of God's faithfulness. And I think Paul had to just tell those believers, listen, I know I've given you some rough stuff. I know we have some things coming down the pipeline that probably don't look very good, but he says the Lord is faithful. There's a second thing he gives with that. Not only is the Lord faithful, he says the Lord will establish you. Now listen tonight. God is interested in your growth. God is interested in your stability. In fact, he's not just interested in it. He is committed to your growth. Amen. He's committed to your stability. He's committed to your roots getting deep. He's committed to you going somewhere. He's co- you know, God's vision for every life tonight, hey, look up here. You know what your, God's vision for every life tonight is? God wants you to be a super Christian. God wants you to be a great Christian. God wants you to be a great prayer warrior. God wants you to be a great student of the Word of God. Listen, if we have a God that thinks that way about us, you, we can take the words of Apostle Paul and realize the inspired Scripture saying, God will establish you. God will get your roots in deeper. God will help you to get it done. God is there for us. He, listen, in Jeremiah 24, 6, here's what the word establish means. Jeremiah 24, 6, it means this. I will plant them and pluck them up. God plants us. He gets us rooted, he grows us, he helps us to go. This word established is used 13 times in the scriptures. And I'm just going to say tonight, sometimes you feel a little rocky, sometimes you feel like things are moving, you feel like the ground hasn't stopped shaking, but the Lord is the one who will establish you. We have the comforting promise that the Lord is faithful, that the Lord will establish, but we also have the comfort of knowing the Lord will keep you from evil. Now listen to me tonight. God is over, always overshadowing us. He's always overshadowing. And by the way, when he allows temptations into your life and mine, he never gives us more than we can handle. You ought to thank God for that tonight. Amen? The moment you have a temptation or trial, you get on your knees and say, God, it's tough, but thank you, God, you knew I could handle this. And thank you, you didn't give me more that I could not handle. Thank you for what you've done. I don't know if you've read the book. If you haven't, I'm encouraging you this year to put on your reading list the book Little Woman. The, little woman, the book Little Woman is about, about a missionary by the name of Gladys Aylward. Gladys Aylward was a woman about that tall, maybe four feet, ten inches tall, who was a single woman missionary who went to China, the northern parts of China in the, in the early 1900s. There is a missionary. She learned the language. She learned Mandarin. She learned the local dialect and went up there. And somehow God worked in this dear lady's life to work with the orphanages or establish orphanages for orphans. And uh, there were a lot of rebel problems and other issues going on during that time. And then they had invasions from foreign forces. And one, one, one time when the city and the village, the province she was in, they had an invasion and they were told, they were told because she was a foreigner, they said, Gladys, they said, teacher, you need to get out of this area. And so she didn't want to abandon or leave these, these, 100, these 100 orphan children, Chinese little children there. She said, I will take the children with me. And so she had to make the trek all by herself. No men with her. She had to make the trek with 100 orphan children, little children as well as teenagers, through these, ter- these, these very uh, perilous mountain passages to get to gain access away from these, these robbers. And the, and, the, and, the, and the path they had to take was hard. It was difficult. And, uh, and there, you know, they were lacking food and running out of water, and to be honest with you, she got to a certain point there, she just kind of sat down on a rock and started crying, and she was discouraged, just like you and I would be, she didn't sleep through the night, and as the, as the sun was starting to go up that morning, one of the 13-year-old orphans came to her and said, teacher, she's a teacher, it's going to be all right, she's a teacher, she said, you know what, let me remind you, encourage you, God will take care of us, God's going to take care of us, it looks difficult, but God will take care of us, just as Moses, he used Moses to do the parting of the Red Sea, and Gladys at that moment was not really 
close to God. She was just kind of just struggling in her fears and struggling in her worries. And she made this kind of curt remark to the 13-year-old. She said, yeah, but I'm not Moses. But I like what the 13-year-old said. She said, yeah, but Jehovah God is still Jehovah God. And I remind you tonight, you and I may not be Moses, but God is still God. Amen? God doesn't change. He's faithful. He's always there. He's always for us. And a lot of times, God gets us right to the cusp of the Red Sea. And he has the Egyptian army breathing down our back. But thank God for the pillar of fire that's behind us. And thank God, by faith, God opened up the Red Sea, made possible for Moses and all of the children of Israel to go through. I want to encourage you tonight, trust in God's faithfulness. This year, you're going to have high times and you're going to have low times. Trust him in the promise of his faithfulness, that he will keep you from evil, that he will establish you. Hey, listen, ask God to help you. If you're going through a trial right now or it's very difficult, ask God to help you to grow through the trial. How many of you even even ask God that? Ask God to help you grow through the trial. Ask God to help you grow, to grow you through difficult circumstances. Hey, if you have somebody that's adversarial to you, ask God to help you grow through that adversarial experience. He said the Lord will establish you. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. God will help you and I to grow through that circumstance there. So encourage you, number one, he said pray for us. Encourage you, number two, he said the Lord is faithful. Finally tonight, would you notice the third, third, third encouragement? The third encouragement is found in verses four and five. Now verses one to three, Paul talks to us about God being faithful to us. Verses 1 to 3, he talks about God being faithful. But you notice verses 4 and 5? He's talking about now you and I being faithful to God. It's not a one-way street. It's always two ways. Amen? Not just God being faithful to us. We've got to be faithful to God. That's what he's talking about there. So we see, we see, the, the, we, we see him just encouraging us to have continuous prayer. And he tells about the continuous promises, or the, the, the comforting promises. But I want you to notice in verses 4 and 5, the compliant practices. Now notice what he says here. He's talking about our practices. Now you're not going to grow. And you're not going to win. And you're not going to be victorious if you don't follow these practices. And he says in verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you or concerning you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patient waiting for Christ. Now, He's encouraging them because, as I mentioned in the beginning of the message, these were believers who were soon shaken and troubled in mind and spirit because of false teachers, because of, because of sin, because of persecution, a number of things like that. And as Paul gets to verses 4 and 5, he's encouraging them to be faithful in their walk with God. I like what he said in verse 4. He says, I have confidence that you're going to do exactly what we've told you to do because we just know that you're going to do it. You know, it's a comfort to pastor. The comfort to people in a spiritual authority is when God's people do what they're supposed to do. They're just obedient and do what they're supposed to do. They're not out doing some crazy thing. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me the things we preach on everything in the Bible, and then I'll have somebody come by to see me, and they'll tell me something they did, and I think, weren't you there when I just preached on that? And I said, what's going on here, you know? And, but, you know, it's a comfort to the preacher. It's a comfort to spiritual leaders is knowing that people do what they've been told to do by the Word of God. So let me give you some things, and we're done tonight, okay? Let's look at these compliant practices. Are you ready? Notice verse 4. Number one, practice number one, stay faithful in duty. Stay faithful in duty. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. Now somewhere along the way, and this may be just the problem of all God's people through the ages, the people of God seem to have a, a, a just to be very, they have difficulty in obeying God. 
But I'm going to tell you tonight, John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You love Jesus tonight? You love Jesus tonight? You're going to keep his commandments. I have confidence that you both do and will do the things which we command you. Stay faithful in your duty. Say, I do. Say, I do. Not only what are you doing now, but you'll do it in the future. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let's be faithful in our duty. Secondly, secondly, notice verse 5. Stay fervent in your devotion. Now I want to tell you, if we're not careful... Adversarial people, adversarial problems, adversarial health ailments. Hey, listen to me tonight. I know what I'm talking about. If you and I are not very careful, adversarial situations will make us cynical. It'll make us cynical. I remember a lot of you, you came out of college, man, you're all bubbly and all stuff like that. Give it about five years, and after you've been in the work environment, you find out it's not really what everybody told you. You become cynical. You're cynical about preaching. You're cynical about obeying God. If you don't get your way, you become cynical. You know what Paul's saying here? This is the antidote for keeping your heart from going cynical. Look at verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Now I'm going to tell you tonight, that's an important verse because you don't have the love and I don't have the love to make us lovely. <laughs> the Lord's going to have to direct our hearts into the love of God. God's got to give you that love. Hey, you know what? There's something wrong. Hey, listen to me tonight. There's something wrong if we can say, God helps my heart to love a sinner I don't know. But you're saying God can't help your heart to love the saint that you don't, you don't like. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Jude said the same thing. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, the word love is very simple. It's the highest Form of the highest word for love is the word agape, the love like God loves. You know what he's saying there? Love your enemies. Love those who are adversary to you. Love like God loves. Love, love the lost who need Jesus. Let the Lord direct your heart. You know, one of our prayer requests we have to make every day is, Lord, help me to be lovely. Help me to be lovable. Help me to love others. And that's hard. I'll tell you, you get around people, and so, some folks just don't ever change. But you know, God's not interested in, in just... You know, that maybe, maybe, maybe right now what the most important thing God wants to do is to change you more than he wants to change the other person. And we have to recognize tonight that's God's will for our lives, that he wants us to, be, to have that love there. Let God work in your heart. Let God help you to love the unlovable. Let God revive a heart of devotion that has gone cold. So number one, we must stay faithful in our duty. Number two, we must stay fervent in our devotion. But finally, as we close tonight, notice the last part of verse five. We must stay focused for his disclosure. Look what he says here. Because you know what? If we're not careful, we can get sidetracked and forget about our obligations. Look what he says here. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ. Now you read the Thessalonian epistles. It's amazing the number of times Paul says, keep your eyes looking for Jesus. Patiently wait for him. Look at chapter 1, verse 10 of, the, of, of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 10, he mentions this right in the beginning. He says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, I, th I think Paul was saying that for a reason. The persecution, the adversarial situation they were facing, 
they were getting impatient. They were just like saying, well, I don't think the Lord's really going to come. I don't really think the Lord loves us. And Paul said, you know what? The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible tells us we're to love his appearing. That's what Paul said. There's a crown of righteous for those who love his appearing. And I want to tell you tonight, we need to get our eyes... We need to keep our eyes looking, looking for the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. Don't get tired of waiting. He's telling us, don't get weary in well-doing. He says, may the Lord direct us into the patient waiting of Jesus Christ. Tonight, God gives us three encouragements for a new year. He encourages us to have continuous prayer. He said, brethren, pray for us. He said, pray for me specifically for the expansion of the gospel. Pray for me specifically for the exaltation of the gospel. Pray for me specifically that I'll have extraction from, I'll have extraction from adverse situations. And then the second thing Paul said, he, he gave us the encouragement of the comforting promises that the Lord is faithful. The Lord will keep us from evil. The Lord will establish us. He says, you know, you can hang on those promises. And then finally tonight, Paul gives us the third encouragement. The third encouragement is to remind us that we need to be compliant in our practices. You notice in verses 4 and 5 again, stay faithful in your duty, stay fervent in your devotion, and stay focused for his disclosure. Look for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch tonight. If we start off taking these three words of encouragement, it'll help us get through this year. Whatever comes our way, it's all going to be good. But whatever comes our way, it'll help us to see our way through and help us to have a good attitude and a good spirit and to have victory in Jesus Christ.